Section 25 of the Curtis Aviation Book by Glenn Curtis and Augustus Post. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 6 The Curtis Pupils and a Description of the Curtis Aeroplane and Motor by Augustus Post. Chapter 1 Pupils All great masters have been represented by pupils who have done honor to their teacher and have achieved personal success in a large measure. Mr. Curtis is no exception to this rule, for he has taught more than a hundred pupils. There have been representatives of all classes and all nationalities. The list includes all trades and professions, from horse trainers to bankers, and in all these have been pupils from thirteen nationalities, including Russians, Germans, French, Canadians, Scotch, Irish, English, Japanese, Indians, Cubans, Mexican, Spaniards, and Greeks. Instruction has been given in all languages, including the sign language. Some nationalities are naturally a little harder than others to instruct, largely because of national characteristics of thought, and also for the reason that in a southern climate those native to it are often unaccustomed to the rapid action necessary at times in flying. Negroes have not yet, as a class, taken to aviation, but there is a Chinaman in California, Tom Gunn, who has been successful as an aviator. But conspicuous among the list of pupils is the number of Army and Navy officers, of our own as well as of foreign countries, that have graduated from the Curtis School. Hydroaeroplane operation has also been taught to a number of pupils, both at Hammondsport, New York, and at San Diego, California, where the training camps are located. The life that the pupils lead at these schools is most interesting and healthful. The students get up early, sometimes at four in the morning, when it is just light enough to see, and when the air is usually calm and the best conditions for learning to fly exist. Pupils are outdoors practically all day, flying or working on the machines when anything breaks or goes wrong. Many pupils have engaged in exhibition flying after completing their course of instruction, and among the large number of very excellent aviators that have followed in Mr. Curtis's wing-beats, for you can hardly say footsteps, have been some of the foremost aviators in the world, and men whose fame and exploits are household words today. A partial list of some of these men at present active in the field is here given. Charles F. Willard, Hugh Robinson, Charles K. Hamilton, J. C. Mars, C. C. Whitmer, B. C. St. Henry, Lincoln Beachy, Beckwith Havens, Lieutenant T. G. Ellison, U.S. Navy, Captain P. W. Beck, U.S. Army, Lieutenant J. H. Towers, U.S. Navy, William Hoff, J. B. McCauley, S. C. Lewis, C. W. Shoemaker, W. B. Atwater, Al Mayo, Al J. Engel, J. Lansing Callan, G. E. Underwood, Ira D. Spaulding, C. F. Walsh, Carl T. Siolander, Fred Hoover, E. C. Malik, Ripley Bowman, T. T. Maroney, C. A. Berlin, H. Park, W. M. Stark, B. H. McMillan, F. J. Terrell, Francis Wildman, F. J. Southard, Lieutenant P. A. Dumford, W. B. Hemstraught, Earl Sant, R. B. Russell, 
Lieutenant J. E. McClaskey, W. W. Vaughan, Barney Moran, M. Kondo, J. G. Kaminsky, Mohan Singh, K. Takeishi. Among those in this list who have done wonderful things, it might be interesting to mention some of the marvelous feats of daring, as well as a few of the achievements, of Lincoln Beachy, who is credited with being the greatest exhibition aviator in the world. At the meet in Chicago in the summer of 1911, Beachy flew more miles than any other aviator. He flew all the time and was in the air during all the flying hours in one contest or another. He did all the special tricks in the air that were known. He carried passengers, won speed races, and established a new world's altitude record at 11,642 feet. After flying as high as he could at Chicago with a seven-gallon tank full of gasoline, Beachy came down and said, "'Tomorrow I'll go higher.' He had a ten-gallon tank fitted to his machine, filled it full up to the top, and started right up from where his machine was standing on the ground so as not to waste a drop of gasoline, and flew up and up until it was completely exhausted and his motor thus compelled to stop, but not until he had set the world's record at 11,642 feet. He deliberately started out on this trip to climb up as long as his fuel would last. He knew his motor would stop and he would have to glide down. It was not an unintended glide, but it was the longest glide on record. He brought out all the points and possibilities of his machine—distance, speed, weight-carrying, and altitude. Wilbur Wright said, "'Beachy is the most wonderful flyer I ever saw, and the greatest aviator of all.' Calbraith P. Rogers said upon his arrival at Los Angeles, after flying across the American continent, a distance of over 4,000 miles, Beachy's daring flight down the gorge of Niagara and through the spray of the falls was a greater achievement than mine. Beachy has been remarkably free from serious accidents, even though now he pitches straight down from the sky seeming to fall straight to earth and just catching his machine up in time to avoid striking the earth. At Hammondsport, on July 29, 1912, Beachy was trying out a new model military type, and he ascended 6,500 feet in 15 minutes, while he came down in one minute, making one of his perpendicular dives with the engine still, the whistling of the wind through the taut wires of the machine could be heard half a mile away. On this occasion, one of the lady visitors to the testing grounds, who had never seen Beachy fly before, thinking that he was falling and would surely strike the ground and be dashed to pieces, fainted. Beachy said, flying did not come to me at first, but it seemed to come all of a sudden, and then it came big. Once Beachy had to land in a very small place, surrounded with trees, and the only way he could do it with the fast machine that he was driving was to kill its speed in the air by skimming over the trees, shutting off his motor, and gliding along to the place where he wanted to stop, and then pointing the machine up suddenly, very much as a bird comes to a stop, and then pancaking down, as it is called when you come down kerflop like a pancake. Beachy broke a wheel by this performance, and he is worried over that little breakage as much as another man would over smashing up a whole machine. 
Beachy flew from New York to Philadelphia in company with Eugene Eli and Hugh Robinson in August 1911, winning the first intercity race to be held in the United States. Among the skilled operators of hydroaeroplanes is Mr. Hugh Robinson, who flew down the Mississippi River in the spring of 1912, carrying mail and covering the river course between Minneapolis, Minnesota and Rock Island, Illinois. Mr. Robinson also went to France in May of 1912 and competed in the first contests and races ever held in this new sport at Monte Carlo. Since his return to America, Mr. Robinson has been the instructor of hydroaeroplaning at Hammondsport. Note. Ralph Johnston said in a conversation about experiences while learning to fly, I learned to fly all right, but one day when I was up in the air pretty high, I seemed to forget all about it and how to operate the controls. I tried them and tested how they worked, and it seemed to me that I learned all over again. But it did seem funny to me for just a few minutes. George W. Beatty said, when I was flying in Chicago, in the contest for duration, when the weather was calm and I had nothing else to do but sit and think while the machine flew on, round and round, lap after lap, I would look out at a wire and watch it as it vibrated, and wonder if it was possible for it to break, while I realized that I could not get out to fix it. This worried me more than flying in a high wind. It seems more natural for me to fly than not to. I have been in the air on an average of two hours every day for over a year. End note. End of section 25. Recording by Maria Casper.